Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and as you can see, I'm back in the studio. I'm back in Chengdu, which is because the COVID-19 virus as of recording, which is March 10th, 2020, uh, it is pretty much taken care of in China. Well, at least it's uh, in its um, last legs because yesterday as of the time of recording, there were 40 new cases in the entirety of China. Now compare that to a month ago when there were some days that had 3,000 new cases in a day. And then of the 40 new cases in China yesterday, 36 of them were in Hubei province, which is of course the epicenter of the uh, epidemic. And also yesterday, 1,550 people uh, were released from the hospital and cured. So it looks like, at least in China anyway, the COVID-19 coronavirus is on its last legs and will soon be a thing of the past. But I must uh, commend the way that Chinese people have responded to this. They've just sort of gotten on with it. You know, it's like, this is obviously an inconvenience for everybody. It's terrible when you're in Hubei, especially. Uh, a lot of people have lost their lives and life has become very different. But I think that Chinese people have shown themselves to be very strong in the face of a crisis and have all been on board with doing what is necessary. Uh, they're not complaining about it. And, you know, I think the rest of the world with the COVID-19 becoming more of a, you know, scary uh, monster, as it were, in the in the future, they would be do well to take a lesson from Chinese people and remember whatever needs to be done to contain the virus, you should be okay with because it's not about you know your individual life or you know whether or not the virus is going to affect things that are conveniences. The key is to protect people, especially the elderly and young children, from something that is potentially dangerous for them. Now, I think that there's no need to panic, but on the other hand, if there's something happens where it's like you get inconvenienced, you can't go to work, you can't do something, just be prepared for that and accept it because it's what's necessary for the time being. So I hope that uh, all of you out there are staying safe and we'll move on to the news of today's podcast. So this is, of course, the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. And for new listeners, if you've never uh, tuned in before, the structure of the podcast is simple. We look at the questions or comments that came in from email, from our community forum, or from the comments in the Mandarin Blueprint Method course. And we just address them and talk about them each week and return the questions with a timestamped YouTube link so that everybody can get a personalized video answer to the questions that they bring up. And generally, the way we focus on it is we structure it by doing the questions that are a bit more open-ended about language learning or their testimonials about the course or just other uh, sort of miscellaneous questions that come in during the week. We do those first, and then we will focus on the mnemonic scene shares from the Hanzi movie method. Now, the Hanzi movie method is our mnemonic system for memorizing Chinese characters faster than was ever possible before. And so that whole system has gotten a lot of engagement from our members. We have people giving great mnemonic scenes to remember the characters and sharing them. So if you are on the course, always remember to look at the comments below any le lesson because there may indeed be several great helpful comments from people who had been on that lesson before. So check those out. But before we get into anything related to questions today, we're going to do two things. We're going to 
announce a partnership with a new company, and we're going to go over a grammar point that comes up in the course quite a few times. So first, let's talk about this new partner. Mandarin Blueprint has partnered with the Oral Chinese Test, or the OCT, which is the only test, apart from the HSK Oral Test, which is only available, I believe, for HSK 6, um, it's the only Oral Chinese Test that is officially uh, sanctioned and approved of by the Confucius Institute. So I want to read an excerpt from their uh, website, and then there's a link that you can use, and we'd appreciate you using that link. It's an affiliate link that lets them know that you came from Mandarin Blueprint. So if you want to take one of their tests, you can do so. This from their website, the OCT, Oral Chinese Test, aims to empower organizations and individuals around the world to achieve higher proficiency in oral Chinese through our all-in-one online testing platform. With the use of AI technology, OCT evaluates learners' Mandarin Chinese competency in school and workplace environments with high efficiency anytime, anywhere. The only official online oral Chinese test certified by the Confucius Institute headquarters. OCT is the one and only online Mandarin proficiency test certified by the Confucius Institute with AI technology. O OCT helps evaluate learners' Mandarin ability in school and workplace environments. Why OCT? As an international standard standardized oral Chinese test, OCT corresponds to Common European Framework of Reference for Languages, the CEFR, and connects seamlessly with the Hanyu Shui Ping Kao Shi, or the HSK. It's got in-depth AI-enabled assessments, six-dimensional evaluations, and analytical competency reports. There's more you can read on their website by following our link that we left in the show notes of the episode. And uh, basically, they have tests from beginner to intermediate to advanced, and uh, they have levels one through eight. And each test is a one-time test, and it's uh, there is a price to it. The beginner test is $19.99 all the way up to the applications test, which can be $49.99 to $59.99. But those are very specific. It's kind of cool. They have tests specifically for accounting, banking, investments in finance, advanced communication, food and beverage, real estate, airline services, hotel, retailing, applied communication, insurance, and trade and commerce. So they're very specific when you get to the application level, which is what you would expect from a Mandarin test, because anything from the beginner, progressive, intermediate stages, those stages are all just more general knowledge of Mandarin. You don't really specialize until you get to an advanced uh, fluency level. And so these tests are, it's a smart way of doing it, I think, because by having it be more specified once you get to the quote-unquote application level where you're actually going to apply the language, then uh, it's much um, it's much more of a valuable test because you're getting something out of it that you can show to a company, like say you're in hotels and you show, I've passed the OCT hotel application test, then that is obviously a much more powerful uh, test passing to have on your resume than just a general knowledge uh, Chinese test. So check out the OCTtest.org and we've got the link. Again, we'd really appreciate it if you use the affiliate link from Mandarin Blueprint. That way they know you came from us. So thanks so much to OCT. We're looking very much forward to our partnership with them and we'll continue to uh, talk to you guys about how you're doing. And if any of you do try the test, uh, please let us know because we'd like to see what you think of it and whether or not you passed and, of course, where you were at that time. And if you have any other questions, of course, you can always email us. So thanks so much to OCT. Next, we'd like to cover the grammar point 
that comes up during the Mandarin Blueprint Method course. It covers the tag that you'll find in Anki called GW, How Does What, Tone of Voice, Fu Ci, Yu Qi. So Yu Qi means tone of voice. So it's not the tone as in like the five Mandarin tones. It's more the tone of voice, like trying to get across, well, like you would in English. His tone of voice, he had a bad tone of voice with me, or he had a hurried tone of voice, things like that. Now, of course, we've covered different types of adverb, which we call how does what, because it's the function of an adverb. An adverb takes the verb or the does what, what's happening in the sentence, and it describes how that verb is happening. So we've covered tone of voice, or sorry, we, this one covers tone of voice. We've covered degree. Uh, we've co covered frequency. We've covered adverbs of denial, things like that. This one is about tone of voice. So does the speaker feel exasperated? Do they want to get to the bottom of a problem? Do they think that they have no choice in something? Let's explore these different types of adverbs of tone of voice. And as always, at the point in the course where you're seeing this video, it's not that you've learned all possible adverbs that convey a tone of voice, but it is enough that you'll be able to get the general concepts of how it works. So let's start with the sentence that comes from level 19 of the course. The sentence is, 你最好坐车. You'd better go by bus or train. So the adverb here is 最好. And so 最好 by itself means best. It means the best option. But if you say to somebody, 你最好坐车, then what you're trying to get across is there's advice. There's a tone of giving advice here. It's like, oh, you better take the train there, buddy. Uh, and it could be the bus or the train because when you uh, drive a car, that's 开车. But if you are sitting in a taxi or you're sitting in a bus or you're sitting on a train, it's 坐车. And of course, 坐 means to sit. So to sit a car or to sit a vehicle is essentially getting across the point that you're not driving it, so you're a passenger. And so, 你最好坐车 is something you might say to somebody when they're considering riding a bike or they're considering whatever. Say they're considering riding a bike, but they don't have much time. You might say, 你最好坐车 because that way they'll know, okay, you, you better do this. And so, uh, that's the tone of advice that you'll get from 最好. Now, let's go to the next sentence. The sentence without the adverb is, 我想坐飞机, but if you add here, 我还是想坐飞机, then this will change the tone of the sentence to indicate that you still want to go by plane. So if you just compare that to the last sentence, somebody says, 你最好坐车, you would say, mm, 我还是想坐飞机. That response is indicating a tone of, even though there's other options, I'm still going with this one. That's 还是. When you use Haisha in that context, that's what you're trying to get across. You're trying to get across that tone that despite the fact that, you know, your suggestion that they'd better go by bus, the speaker is nonetheless sticking to their plan to go by plane. So that's a couple of examples of, you know, saying you'd better and but I still. Let's move to sentence three. 天哪,你到底什么意思? This is from level 18 that translates to... Geez, what on earth do you mean? And the key word here is 到底. 到底 literally means arrive at the bottom. So if you want to get to the bottom of something, you'll skip the formalities and say 到底 to indicate you want to cut through the, uh, well, uh, riffraff. <laughs> so that that's the idea behind that. So in the above sentence, there are a couple of contexts where they might say 
The first would be if they were potentially offended, right? So perhaps you said something uncouth about his or her mother, and uh, they want to get to the bottom of what you mean. But alternatively, perhaps you were beating around the bush about what you want. So the person's kind of frustrated with your lack of clarity, and so the speaker wants you to cut the crap and say what you mean. Uh, very, very useful to use that adverb to get across the idea that you want to just get to the bottom of something and cut through the, cut the crap. Next, sentences four and five are related to each other. So they both mean finally. So if you want to get across the idea of, oh, you finally showed up or something like that, then you'll use either 总算 or 终于. So let's look at these two sentences. 你们总算回来了. You all finally returned. Next sentence. 今天终于有空了. I finally have free time today. So both 总算 and 终于 mean finally. The characters 总 and 算 translate to total or the computation. So, and swan is computation. So, total computation. So, you can imagine how that sort of makes sense. Now, zhong and yu translate as final concerning. So, you can use them interchangeably when you're when you feel that something has finally happened. There's not too much of a difference between the two. The reason it indicates tone of voice is that the idea that something is finally taking place is all about the perception of the speaker. It's not. Um, it's necessarily something objective, but certainly you know that the speaker feels that way. Uh, that we've all had times in life where you might feel like something has finally happened, but from the other person's perspective, it got finished earlier than expected. So we've all run across that before. The idea is it's about perception. Next, we have sentence number six, which is 我只好同意. So this sentence means I've no choice but to agree. I like this uh, adverb, 只好. And it's a fascinating word because it means to have no choice but. In other words, the only 只 way to have a good 好 outcome. So if you just said 我同意, there's no particular indication of why you agree, but 我只好同意 shows that the speaker doesn't necessarily want to agree, they just can't see an alternative. So this is another great adverb that expresses tone of voice. Now, the final sentence I'd like to talk about is a really useful adverb that expresses tone of voice because, especially for a person who is learning Mandarin, and that adverb is 反正. So let's take a look at this sentence. 反正,我不喜欢吃米饭. Regardless, I don't like to eat rice. So why is this such a good word to know as a beginning learner? Well, it's because sometimes you're not exactly sure how to explain yourself, but you know the point of what you're trying to say. So let's imagine the context of the above sentence. Suppose that you're trying out the keto diet, the ketogenic diet, uh, which requires less than 50 grams of carbs per day. I've done this many times in my life. I'm probably going to continue to do it now that I'm back from Thailand. I might have put on a few pounds while I was there because Thai food is really good. And I'm going to go into a ketogenic diet. And suppose I don't know how to explain the complexity of ex how to uh, convey to a Chinese person in Chinese how this diet works and what are the dietary restrictions. And so you start to try to say it, but you realize I don't have the vocabulary for this yet. You decide it's not worth trying to continue. So you say, regardless, fan zheng, I don't like rice. 我不喜欢吃米饭. And that's 
just a way of getting across, all right, despite the fact that I wasn't able to really get this across, I can just make the main point uh, emphasized by adding fan zheng before the, the point. You know, in our journeys to fluency, both Luke and I found that fan zheng comes in handy all the time, and we're sure it will for you as well. Sorry, one more sentence. I Before, I think I said that, that was the last sentence. This is uh, one more sentence, which is uh, zheng hao. Zheng hao is a great word that indicates uh, happens to or, you know, just happens to be, right? So in this sentence, 我的想法正好相反. My opinion happens to be the opposite or the opposite of the person you're talking to. You'll find that zheng hao comes in handy when you want to create a tone of coincidence. That's the general idea of this. You could, ju you could just say, I have the opposite opinion. But by adding zheng hao, the listener knows that you find the situation to be happenstance. You're somewhat surprised, it's coincidental, and so you're saying, hey, 我的想法正好相反. And so you'll see that one come up quite a bit. So that's your GW, how does what, tone of voice, 副词语气. Next, I'd like to talk about the first person who finished the Mandarin Blueprint Method Intermediate course, I don't even think it was two months ago, maybe it was around two months ago that we finished the release of our expansion of the intermediate course. And Rosan Bishwakarma has already finished. He left a comment on level 57 complete and said, damn, this feels good. Thank you so much for this course. It truly changed my life. And then after that, he sent us another email. He said, Dear Luke and Phil, thanks again so much for what you have created. I hope you gain even more traction and really become the number one Mandarin learning resource. I'm still working through some sentence cards, so I am technically not 100% finished. There are also the conversation connectors, but I hope to quote unquote finish everything by the end of the month, which would mark 1.5 years of Chinese language study. The goal would be to be able to, with confidence, say that I can speak some Chinese by the end of 2020. Keep up the good work, Rosan Luoshan. Uh, Luoshan is actually also the name of a city uh, in Chengdu where uh, Annie is from. So if you've seen Annie in the uh, videos, that's where she's from. And it also happens to be Rosan's Chinese name. So congratulations, Rosan. It's an epic feat to have gone through 4,000 lessons and learned as much as you have. You've obviously been putting in the effort every day, and it's fantastic. The foundation that you have in Chinese now is so robust that it's you're going to have so little difficulty moving moving to more advanced levels from here. And uh, we we wish you all the best moving forward. And also, Rusan sent in a uh, recording of him reading out loud one of the stories from phase five. So next, we'll do a critique of that pronunciation. This is Rusan reading out loud the second paragraph of the story called Wu Po Yu Menu. And this is called Nighttime Beauty, Daytime Witch, uh, and he practically nailed it. It was very, very good. Uh, I don't really know how much better I could have done myself. Uh, there were obviously a couple of little tiny things, but they're so small. Anyway, let's listen to somebody smashing it and showing how the Mandarin Blueprint Method can make you fluent, literate, and otherwise able to function in the Mandarin language. And there's a transcript of the second paragraph of Nighttime Beauty, Daytime Witch in the show notes. So check that out. Let's take a listen. 晚上他回家, Just a small note here, uh, Rasan, you missed the 
他的奶奶就高兴地跑出来问他。Just a small error there, but not any major problems with your pronunciation so far. 你什么时候找了一个这么漂亮的女朋友？这个男人不知道发生了什么。他和奶奶回了家，推开门，发现有一个长得非常好看的女人站在桌子右边。You'll notice here that Rosan slowed down slightly, but I actually don't mind it because he slowed down to make sure that he was saying it correctly. So,、uh, you would have it flow a little bit better as Jerry does. 发现有一个长得非常好看的女人站在桌子右边。But ultimately, I think that that's a great tactic for dealing with,、uh, you know, when your brain is trying to catch up with、uh, what you're reading on the page. Continuing on. 奶奶笑着说。这位美女说：“你们马上就要结婚了，真是太好了。”美女走到男人面前说：“我就是你白天救的那只猫。为了报答你，我会成为你的太太。但是现在我会问你一个问题：我们三天以后结婚的时候，你再告诉我你的想法。”男人点了点头。美女又说：“我的能力不够。”变成美女的样子没那么长时间，要么白天是美女，晚上不美；要么晚上是美女，白天不美。这个你来选择。男人说：“你这么好看，不美也比很多人都好看，不用担心。”他的话刚说完，他发现美女变成了一个老巫婆。她不仅长得难看，而且声音。So this is the first spot where I've detected a just sort of like full-on mistake. Most of the other criticisms I would have of this or critiques I would have are just about flow and how things work. But here,、uh, Rosan, you did sort of say kind of shengyin, which would be a different word than shengyin, sheng sheng. So listen now, Jerry says it. 而且声音很难听 Very minor gripe. It's just a little bit of the、uh, vowel sound in sheng sounded a little bit too close to shang, and that's of course a different. Uh, syllable in Chinese, so we don't want to mix them up. 并且还很臭。男人吓得坐在了地上。老巫婆问：“呃，现在你还觉得我好看吗？”男人没说话。然后老巫婆又变回了美女，对他说：“你好好想想，我们三天后结婚见。” So in that last little bit, I suspect that you were starting to get a little bit tired,、uh, which is totally understandable. That's a long paragraph that you just read amazingly well overall. So there were some flow issues. There was a couple of areas where the pauses were a little bit awkward, but overall, excellent work. This is great stuff, and you know, you got to this level in way less time than I think anybody has. So. Very well done, Rosan. And as you can see, for anybody else listening to this, this is absolutely possible to do、uh, within. I think Rosan did this in less than six months of the Mandarin Blueprint Method course. So、uh, look at that; that's pretty impressive. And of course, he's doing that without the pinyin. He's just reading the transcript directly as it is. So、uh, thanks so much, Rosan. Excellent work. And anybody else who'd like to submit an audio recording of them、uh, reading out loud one of the sections of our course, we'd love to hear it. Next, let's move on to some questions that came in from the Mandarin Blueprint community. This one comes from Tristan. 
And again, this is left on the Mandarin Blueprint community forum. If you're a member of any of the Mandarin Blueprint courses, whether it's Pronunciation Mastery, the Mandarin Blueprint Method, or even our free Rapid Acquisition Crash Course, um, you can get access to the Mandarin Blueprint community, leave any messages there, and you'll have an opportunity to hear from not just Luke and myself, but also the other members on the course. And it is awesome. Now, these days, so many people are getting involved in it, and we have such smart and uh, engaged people on that forum. So again, if you get involved in any of the Mandarin Blueprint Method courses, you'll have access to this community forum. So Tristan Knotts left a post where he said, I've been using Mandarin Blueprint for about a month now, and I just want to say it's made learning Mandarin so much fun. I find myself enjoying picking ridiculous props and imagining movie scenes, not to mention how rewarding it is to see how effective the method is. I took a year of Mandarin at university, but it just didn't click. I was somehow supposed to learn five new characters each day through rote learning, I guess, but within a couple of months of completing the course, I had forgotten just about all of the 700 plus characters that I had quote unquote learned. With Mandarin Blueprint, I'm, some I'm sometimes still in disbelief at how effective your method is at helping me understand and retain the meaning of characters. It was the most incredible thing when I got to the coveted character 105 and I was able to read complete Chinese sentences without pinyin after just a few weeks. Thank you for such an innovative and enjoyable approach to learning Mandarin. This has transformed the way I view language learning, and I cannot be more excited to continue my journey. Well, that's a wonderful message to receive. And, you know, it's not surprising to me at all that you forgot a lot of the characters that you learned that you tried to learn by rote. Uh, learning by rote only works if you continue to learn by rote. And if at any point you stop putting in that repeat, repeat, repeat effort, you're going to lose them. That's why our mnemonic system is so much more effective because learning by rote is essentially saying it's so uncreative and our brains are far better at mem remembering things like faces or places or circumstances or emotions. You know, that's what our brain is, is going to naturally remember. And if it weren't true that our brain naturally remembers certain things, then how do you remember certain things from your past that you never studied again, right? You remember that time you went to the amusement park with your friends, or you remember the time that, uh, you know, your parents yelled at you when you were a kid, or you remember the first time you got into a relationship, or you the first time you broke up. How do you remember that without ever having studied it? Well, it's because the memories themselves are filled with that which we've evolved to put into our long-term memory banks. We remember faces super well, and it's because of evolution. It's not, it's deeper than language itself. Like our ability to look at someone and recognize their face and recognize our relationship to them. Are they an enemy? Are they my mother? Are they a friend? Are they, you know, some kind of new stranger that I don't know? Our brain is so attuned to that, that we don't, we, we knew how to do it well before language even existed. So it's not surprising at all that trying to learn by rote, which is something that is brand new. And again, if, if we have an ability in our brain that comes from before language existed, and then we try to use something like a writing system, which clearly hasn't been around since well after language existed, then which do you think is going to be more powerful and more easy? So easier. So, you know, as you can see, the Mandarin Blueberry Method, because it takes that, you know, approach of, focusing on what we're good at and not focusing on that which 
you know, is brand new from an evolutionary perspective, it makes it much easier to remember every single character. And I'm not surprised at all, but I'm thrilled that you've discovered it, Tristan, because, uh, you know, that's, that's the key. It's just about discovering it each day. Next, we have a message from Mary, and Mary's been leaving lots of uh, comments in the course. She's from Ireland, uh, and uh, her name, her Irish name, I, I think it might be Mer, but I'm not sure if that's how it's pronounced, so I'm going to go. She said a lot of people call her Mary, so I'm going to go with Mary for now. So she said, just thought it was time to say hi. I'm a bit of a language nerd. I speak English, Irish, and French, although my French accent is atrocious. I learned it from books with not enough listening material back in the 80s when my mom and dad wouldn't let me have a Walkman. Boo! <laughs> According to my exam results, I, I also speak German and Russian. But hey, it's one thing to pass an exam, it's another thing to know the language. I have forgotten almost all of my Russian, and my German is definitely clunky. Other than that, I can stumble through basic conversations in a few other European languages. I always wanted to learn Chinese since I was about eight, since I adore the wealth of history and culture. But the courses I looked at seemed so inadequate. Right now, I feel a bit like Goldilocks. After years of, this is too hard, this isn't enough, I find myself thinking, hey, this is just right. I work full-time, 12-hour night shifts, uh, so my study time is far more limited than the days when not having a Walkman was my huge concern in life. Now I have bills to pay, uh, plus I'm trying to leave the country this year, find a good job and a place to live, somewhere for all my books, instruments, all the good stuff. But I'm going to do at least an hour of Mandarin, Mandarin a day, broken up into blocks, but if my previous language learning experiences are anything to go by, then it's vital to do it every day. I don't want what I... Uh, learn to go the way of my Russian, and I want to have a better accent than I have in French. It is going to take me time. My brain is more tired than it used to be, and I learn slower. What I would give for a good night's sleep. <laughs> but fortunately, this isn't a race. This looks like a supportive community. The curriculum looks amazing, and I am planning to enjoy the journey. Well, you're starting off very well, Mary, and you know, it's a very interesting journey that you've had where you kind of recognize where you made some mistakes in the past, which makes you even more suited to understand why the Mandarin Blueprint Method is going to be much more of an aid to your learning than a hindrance. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of educational materials for language learning, they just, it just, it's totally understandable. They take the approach of treating it like an academic subject, but, you know, language exists lower than academia. It's at a lower level of understanding. It's on a more instinctual level of our brain. It's what we need to even consider something academic. So um, the way that you learn it cannot be the same as the way that you learn something that is purely academic, like say physics or something like that. And you know, the situation you're in regarding the time and the how busy you are and, and fitting it in, I love your attitude because, you know, Sometimes it's the busiest people that find the hour per day. You know, they find a way to fit it in. And sometimes it's the people who have a lot of free time that convince themselves that they don't have time. Uh, it's just that they haven't conceptualized their time properly. It's like an hour a day doesn't mean an hour straight sitting down at your computer. It means an hour total throughout your day, which can come in little bite-sized five-minute bits. And when you're using flashcard software and you're wa watching the a course online, that can be just a moment here and there when you have a moment. A moment here and there where you have a moment, but you get the idea. So uh, you're on the right track. 
you're going to do great, and I'm sure that your accent is going to be better than the one you had uh, when you were learning French because you have the pronunciation mastery course. So, yeah. We actually got another email from Mary. Uh, she was having a little bit of trouble with Anki, so she starts it off by saying, just to let you know, I finally got it working. You have a most supportive community. I am very impressed with how helpful the other members were as well as yourselves. Yeah, that's just what I was saying before. Isn't it awesome? Uh, it's so cool that everybody's getting uh, involved. Um, moving on, she says, Now that it is working, I am making solid progress learning, and this despite the fact that I ended up in hospital unexpectedly. Oh, sorry to hear that. Uh, I'm amazed at how much I remember, not just the sound and meaning of the words, but the actual writing. Orally, I've always been good at language, although Mandarin is trickier than others I have learned, but I seriously never expected to be able to write it. Yet here I am, learning and retaining. I've decided to take some formal exams later on in the course, and if I pass, I will let you know uh, so you can gain credit. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so happy with this. It's amazing. Well, you know, if you pass uh, a test at some point, uh, that's obviously great, and we'd love to hear about it, but what you said at the end here is just that you're happy with it and that you find it to be amazing. That's what matters. I just want you to be happy with moving day-to-day -day through the course and finding it to be effective in helping you gain uh, knowledge of Chinese, which is your goal, and that's that's the most important thing. Uh, tests are great, but even as you said in your previous post, uh, a test does not necessarily show how well you know a language. So uh, well done, Mary, and it's uh, you know great to have you on the course. Next, a quick comment from Aaron on Simple Final A Quiz. Uh, Aaron says, I love how this is taught through a foreign perspective. So helpful. We thought so, too. That's why we made pronunciation mastery that way, especially when you're just starting off. You need somebody to explain it to you in language you can understand because, as I've you know mentioned many times before, the Mandarin Blueprint method is a method. So learning the method, you should not have any trouble. You should not make, like, for example, we've had people say, well, why don't you have more... Uh, videos in Mandarin? And the answer is because we're teaching a method, and we want to make sure you understand the method. Once you get the method, Mandarin will come through comprehensible input. And uh, of course, when we get into the more advanced stages of our course, as we move several years into the future, I'm sure that we'll add in Chinese teachers teaching courses all in Mandarin, but that's after we know you've got a solid grasp of the method and you've gotten plenty of comprehensible input. So that's the kind of thing that is important to understand. If you're going to learn from a rote learning, traditional educational pedagogy, they'll teach you a method in language you can't understand yet, which is kind of putting the cart before the horse. We want to make sure you get the method from a pronunciation perspective, from a character learning perspective, word learning, sentence learning, paragraph learning, story learning. And then once you really get that, then you can, you're kind of, you know, you can take the training wheels off and go on your own. And, uh, so that's our suggestions for uh, how to move and through the course. And, of course, the foreign perspective that we bring to it also is that we did it. We did it as adults. And the Chinese teacher who's a native uh, Chinese national, they didn't do it. They didn't do it as an adult. So they did it as kids, which is a very different circumstance from what it is in, as an adult. Thank you, Aaron. Next, from Petri Nakamura on Make a Movie for Bay. He says, these are the original radicals for this character before the simplification. Uh, so if you're listening to the audio only, check the show notes for what he's referring to here. He's just referring to the difference between the traditional and the simplified of the character Bay. But since we are learning the simplified characters, I think I'm going to go with Abigail's idea too. The same thing is going to happen with, at least with Jian, which is very similar to Bay. So I think the outer component merits its own 
prop for this reason too. So essentially, and that what we call the glass cover or belt component uh, is on the, is on the screen here. And it's something that uh, actually does come up later in the course, but it's perfectly fine to change the props if you can see an alternate way of doing it, so long as you're not creating a contradiction or otherwise unclear. We get a lot of people saying, can I do this? Can I imagine this as this prop or can I change the props? As long as the props that you use correctly construct the character, then it's fine. So I like that, that's awesome. Okay, next we have a uh, comment from Rick, and this is a really good comment, and I actually gave him a response because there's some different way, like angles by which you can look at this question. So the, the question is, the grammar building decks work through reading. Listening is a separate and, diff and different skill. Is there a reason why you don't also offer this material via audio? The grammar building decks use Anki clothes and so can't be easily modified to provide an alternative experience of listening. But I am, uh, but I am thinking of copying them all onto a new set of cards with audio only on the front. I'm not sure if the top-down words might be a problem, but I could use Morphman to filter out sentences with all known words. So essentially what Rick is curious about is, could there be a flashcard that the front of it is just audio and you're supposed to think of what the characters are for the audio you heard? And this is not to like this could be a very useful flashcard, but we have a few reasons why we didn't do it. So here's a practical reason. Uh, throughout the foundational and intermediate course, there are around 5,000-some flashcards for sentences. So that's a lot. That's a lot of time that you're going to be spending on that. And while you could be like Rosan and get through it in a relatively short period of time, if you're spending a lot of time on it per day, uh, it's still going from 5,000 to 10,000 cards if you add in the audio on the front card. And the audio on the front card gives you no choice but to listen to the entirety of the audio um, before you move on. And one of the things you can do with the closed delete cards is you can spend some time with them where you're just trying to speed read and you're kind of skipping through the audio. So uh, that means that of the 5,000 that are closed delete cards, the ones that we currently have, they aren't going to take as long to do overall compared to one that has audio on the front. And while it could be useful, it's something that is going to more than double your time on the sentence flashcards. And we're not trying to make this a really super long journey for you guys. We're trying to get you to the point where you can read and listen to native audio that is you know, from a podcast, from a newspaper, or from wherever it comes from naturally in China. And be able to understand it. And so that's something that is an important and relevant factor. Now, the next factor is that listening is one of, is probably the hardest of the four to develop. It takes probably the longest time, you know, listening, reading, speaking, and writing. It probably takes the longest time to develop. So the other thing that you we recommend doing, and this is what Luke and I did, is always having Chinese playing no matter what in your environment. So if you have uh, a speaker you could put in your house somewhere that plays Chinese all the time. There's so much content out there. There's uh, podcasts, there's radio broadcasts, there's 
news shows, there's TV shows, there's movies, there's dubs of ink of originally uh, Hollywood movies that have been dubbed into Chinese. There's the uh, you know kung fu movies that are all dubbed into Mandarin. There's uh, obviously original Chinese uh, movies, and all of this stuff is stuff that you can have on in the background. And here's the idea: at the beginning, you can't really understand any of it, so all you're kind of doing is recognizing oh, that was a first tone or that was a problem initial or these were these little um, elements to it that you can recognize and then eventually it's like oh that's a word I know I recognize that word and then eventually it's like oh I kind of recognized about half of that sentence and then it just becomes more and more that you can understand what you're listening to and the way that you start to recognize more is by doing the closed delete flashcards so you use the different flashcards whether it's um you know, the word cards, the character cards, and you just keep building up the input that's a little bit more focused in that way. And then your passive listening that's happening in the background, as a result of doing all those flashcards that are more focused, you start to notice more in the passive background material. Then the other thing that you can do when you get to phases uh, four and five of the course, which I don't believe that uh, Rick is there yet, so he'll get a chance to see this when he gets to phases four and five, is that you can download the audio files of our uh, dialogues, opinions, stories, and uh, longer stories, and just have them playing in the background as more comprehensible input. So once you've gotten all of those stories, eventually there's going to be well over 100 stories in the intermediate course. You could just have them playing on repeat and you wouldn't get bored of it because there's so many. So that's another option as well. And then that's something you can't really do until you reach enough vocabulary to be able to put together full paragraphs and have enough vocabulary to put together uh, full multi-paragraph stories. So uh, that's another element to it. So we look at that and we go, is it worth adding more than twice the time to your flashcards when you could follow the steps that I just uh, elucidated about passive learning in the background? Well, our conclusion is better to do the passive learning in the background with that, um, you know, audio that never turns off and then make the active learning naturally cause you to understand more of the passive. And that's uh, our suggestion. It's what Luke and I did, and it was very effective. So uh, that's the answer. That's the reason why we don't also offer the material via audio. Next, another one from Rick on It's a Word for Sheng. Uh, regarding the second usage, which is Sheng can mean raw or uncooked. Uh, and in, he says, in Japanese, this character can mean fresh, as in not rotten. Does it also mean that in Chinese? Well, maybe on a some conceptual level, you could say that it means fresh because sheng means to give birth to something. So you could say uh, that thing that has been given birth to is uh, fresh, but it's not specifically used in that way. The word for fresh in Chinese is xinxian, xinxian, and that's what you'll use if you're going to refer to uh, vegetables or uh, whatever food that you're having as being fresh. Uh, it, so, you know, it is interesting how Chinese and Japanese will sometimes conceptualize the same character in slightly different ways. But I can totally understand why it got uh, considered in that way by the Japanese. It makes sense conceptually. Mary on the lesson, Sean Connery's razor blade bowling, which is in level one, and it's explaining how the Henza movie method works. And see, she said, my first thought was, oh, God, what? But having made a few of these now, they're remarkable. It's been less than a week and all sorts has been going on. But the words I have learned have actually stayed in my head. Tones, meanings, and symbols. I'm really surprised, but at least for me, it has gotten easier. Uh, I hope for you, too. So, yeah, that's uh, Mary 
recognizing that, you know, even though at the beginning there's a lot of method learning and it isn't necessarily moving as fast as you'd think, it is nonetheless, um, you know, getting into her brain and being memorable. So that's some great stuff. Next, we have a comment from uh, Geo Kersey or Geo Kersey on tougher initials explanation. He says, this is in the pronunciation mastery. He says, even as a somewhat native speaker regarding pronunciation, my Mandarin has always been very crisp and clear. This video has done an excellent job of explaining to me in which ways my pronunciation could be more native and natural. I'll pay more attention to my aspiration in the future. Thanks. Aspiration, of course, referring to how much air is coming out of your mouth when you say individual sounds. Like, for example, ta. When you say ta, a lot of air comes out of your mouth. But if I say da, da, there's no air coming out of the mouth. So the D and T difference is fundamentally, it really just comes down to one is aspirated, one is not. So uh, that's pretty cool that you are finding that to be the case. And of course, you're sharpening the saw because you already have good pronunciation. So that's great. Rebecca Weebel on bonus grammar point, GW, how does what, how often, lu. She says, this was great. Do you plan on making these grammar lessons into PDFs? And um, the uh, answer is that I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, we might, um, but I would say that for now, we're just going to keep them in the sidebar of the course so you can access them anytime and you can bookmark them if you'd like. But for now, we probably want to keep them as videos on the course. So uh, that would be my recommendation at the moment. We might make them into PDFs at some point, but we have to kind of prioritize what things are most important to do. You'll have access to them whenever you want. So uh, making them a PDF is probably not number one in the priority list right now, but maybe. Next from S. Raddy on You Did It, which is the final lesson in pronunciation mastery. Thanks guys, that was a fulfilling three weeks and now Mandarin is not that strange anymore. I tell you, that's the first thing you should do with Mandarin. You should learn the pronunciation because it is actually possible to learn it in say three weeks. You can do it in a relatively short amount of time and it demystifies a lot of the language. I mean, obviously you still need to learn the characters which is a big part of it, but you recognize that every character has at least one thing that you've already totally mastered, which is of course, the pinyin syllable. And so by going through going through it with that level of confidence, you can be sure that uh, moving forward, you're not going to have too many problems. So that's awesome. Next, Timothy Filson on bonus, the language learning tripod attitude. He says, these are great tips and I completely understand the cultural ego after having visited many other countries outside of my home in the USA. Thanks. And so, yeah, as a fellow American, I can uh, vouch for the fact that, you know, there's a tendency, uh, Americans tend to do it, a lot of countries tend to do it, that when you go to another culture, your cultural ego takes a little bit of a hit or it takes a... Um, or it, or it runs the show in your opinions. So you see something that's not like your culture, which if you really think about it, doesn't. there's no sort of um, judgment that can be made about it that's rational. Like you can't say one is better than the other, but because it's not like your culture, your cultural ego goes, oh, that's weird. It's not as good as my culture. And that's actually a bit of an enemy of helping you learn language when it comes to a language that is mostly associated with a certain culture. Chinese culture, obviously, the vast majority of Mandarin speakers are in China. So when you look at Chinese culture, there are many things that are different from the West. There are a lot of things that are the same, too. It's like I actually find that more interesting than the differences. But uh, the differences often are not something that you can say this is objectively worse 
than my culture. It's just different. And if you are saying, though, I think this is worse, I think that my culture is better, then the reason it affects your attitude is because why would you want to learn the language of people you don't respect, of a culture that you find to be uh, not engaging or good? You wouldn't want to do that. So the idea here is that if you are in that state of mind where you think, my culture is better than this other culture because of the differences. It's going to affect your attitude negatively, but you also have the choice to kind of have what Steve Kaufman calls cultural weightlessness, where you just allow the differences in the culture to be something you can celebrate or recognize or not judge at least. And then when you do that, you end up A, uh, not discouraging yourself and creating a bad attitude, but B, you let more in to your psyche and your psychology and you kind of say, okay, maybe these other ways of doing things have their benefits. And maybe if I were to really consider whether or not this is right for me, I might change my mind. And that's something that isn't even possible if your cultural ego is too big. And the cultural ego is not that much different from the psychological ego. So yeah, take that for what it's worth. So thank you, Timothy, for letting us know that that connected with you. Next, we have Ija on Vocabulary Unlocked from Thai. And she's adding another one that we didn't specifically include yet. Uh, she said, another interesting but not common enough word, Thai Piao, which means a brightly colored ticket, a.k.a. a lottery ticket. And that's true. It's Thai Piao. You'll see them around in China, uh, different places where you can buy lottery tickets. And uh, that's an HSK 6 word, so the intermediate course doesn't necessarily focus on the high-level vocabulary in the HSK 6. But uh, nonetheless, though, it's cool that Ija was aware of that, and uh, you can, anytime you want, add in a new word, and you can go to bing.com slash dict or linedict.com, look up the word, and see what sentences contain enough vocabulary that you understand, and you can make a flashcard out of it. Um, that's something that gets a lot easier to do when you're in the intermediate course. It's like, oh, hey, hey, here's a new word I don't know. Let me look up the sentences in places like bing.com slash dict, linedict.com, juku.com is another one that has loads of sentences. They're essentially sentence warehouses. You just look through some of the sentences and go, that sentence has too many words I don't know, so don't use that one. Oh, this sentence only has one word I don't know. That's fine. And then you use that to be your uh, sentence flashcard for tai piao or whatever word it is that you want to learn, even though it's not specifically in the intermediate course. And as a reminder, in the intermediate course, we try to have sentences that for sure cover the HSK4, some of them are in the HSK 5 and 6, but only if their uh, frequency in our uh, 1.5 billion character lexicon was higher than 500,000 instances. So if amongst the 1.5 billion characters in our lexicon that we analyzed, if, if anything showed up more than 500,000 times, then we would put it into the intermediate course. If it was less than 500,000 times, we'll save it for the advanced course. So uh, that's how we did that. Next, Jeff Bryant on problem initial SH, shi, and shi. He says, I'm so impressed with the attention to nuance in pronunciation in this course. I've studied Mandarin before and never had such a precise, clear instructions. Fantastic. Well, thanks for that, Jeff. Uh, we really appreciate that. And, uh, of course, um, you know, the pronunciation mastery is the first thing we ever made, and we still get great uh feedback out about it, and that makes us very happy to this day. Egypt is apparently going through the rapid acquisition crash course. She's such a legend. She's in the Mandarin Blueprint Method intermediate course. 
but it's still going through our free course that is just something that we did to, you know, just get more people to know about us. And she noticed that in the third video called Don't Try to Figure Out Chinese Learning on Your Own, that uh, Luke had 26,000 known words on link.com. That's L-I-N-G-Q.com. And that's a great word, uh, great website for analyzing Chinese, breaking it down into its different words, and then giving you a like point system for known vocabulary. And it's something that, especially for someone like Ija, who's already in the intermediate course and has already passed the HSK4, uh, she you know can probably start using Link quite a lot more. And uh, you'll be to 26,000 characters soon. She says, Luke said all these words in my head. It was going quite well. Uh, and she says, 26,000 words on Link. Whoa. And so, you know, that's, of course, understandable to have that type of reaction. But I tell you, you know, you're going to get there in no time, especially if you start putting books in there. Like we were uh, reading Game of Thrones through Link, which was kind of fun. Yasmin on Pick a Prop for it's um, the top character prop. Doesn't have a pronunciation. It's the Character prop for Zhen, but flipped on its side and put on top of a character. She says, I keep imagining a crutch. I know a fair few people who have used them over the years, and this looks like them pointing a crutch at me. Is that okay? So, yeah, you could imagine that if they had a crutch and they were, like, picking it up to point at somebody, that this would be uh, what it would look like. And that's fine. The rules for picking a prop are basically... Does the prop have something to do with the meaning of the character component, or does it look like the character component? In this case, it looks like the character component, and that's perfectly fine. Mary on casting call for WU. She says, oh, hey, my fictional characters can be either male or female. Coolio. <laughs> I haven't seen somebody say Coolio in a while. Uh, yeah, so, of course, yeah, the fictional characters can be either male or female. And the reason why we're making that distinction is because uh, the consonants without any particular vowel are male, the consonants with the e, the i, the letter i, but it's also pronounced e, are female, but they're both real people. So the defining characteristic is their uh, sex. But in the case of fictional characters, there's the defining characteristic is that they're fictional. So the uh, sex or gender doesn't matter as much. So you can choose whichever one you want. The key is just they're fictional. This is an interesting question from Tristan on the new vocabulary unlocked for Xiaolai. In regard to sentences, you mentioned in the video that if you understand it to just press correct. Well, the options available to press are hard, good, and easy, but they're all correct. Like, they're, they all mean correct. If you got it wrong, then you hit uh, again. Now, uh, let's see here. For most sentences, I typically will press good, probably greater than 90%. But should I be selecting hard for the sentences more often? I understand this changes the interval at which you will see the card, but will pressing hard too often just create an overwhelming backlog of cards to review over time? Uh, so this is a good question. I would say that you have to really struggle with it to get um, to, to hit hard. I mean, you're more likely, if you really struggle, you're probably better served to just hit again and then go back to hitting good when you get it right. And the reason I say that is because Sentences are infinite. The possible sentences that you could say or that you could write or that could be written down are infinite because there's so many uh, characters or so many words and how you combine them. You know, the, the only there are some grammar rules, obviously, but how what you could fit into those grammar rules is, you know, infinite. There's no um, particular limit on it. Maybe there is somewhere, but it would take, you know, it's way more than several human lifetimes to get to that point. So it's effectively infinite. 
And as a result, no one sentence is worth going over loads and loads of times. Because remember, you're going to keep reading sentences, you're going to keep reading stories, it's all going to continue well into the future. You're never going to stop reading Chinese once you start reading Chinese, assuming you continue to engage with the language. So uh, there's no particular reason to say, let me look at this particular sentence more often than I would if I just hit good. And uh, I would say it's different for a character. If you're learning a character and you're struggling with it, hitting hard is worth it because the characters are essential component parts of the language that are limited. There's, you know, only about 3,000 characters, you know, compared to infinity of sentences. There's only about 3,000 characters that you really need to know to be able to read newspapers and novels and all that. So I would recommend that you uh, stick to hitting good or again, and of course, if something was really easy, hit easy for sure. Ramokata on new vocabulary unlocked for yunxi. By the way, yunxi, how do you wish someone good luck? Any connection to yunxi? Thank you. The way you, ri- uh, you wish somebody good luck is you say, Zhu ni hao yun. Zhu ni hao yun. So, Zhu ni hao yun literally translates to Zhu. Zhu means uh, to wish you ni good hao luck. Yun. So, Wish you good luck. It's really straightforward in that way. Zhu is a character that you haven't learned at this point, but ni hao yun Next, we have Mary on simple final e So this is the uh, lesson that focuses on the differences between how you say simple final E and when it's fifth tone or whether it's fourth through first and also how to get some of your tone pairs. So she says, I'm definitely going to be coming back to these because even though I am understanding and hearing the sounds and tones, my larynx is not quite used to the exercise. Getting better, but let's just say I have a way to go. Like you said at the start, it's better to learn good habits at the start. I don't want to spend my Chinese-speaking life with a terrible accent. I made that mistake in French, and after 30-odd years, I suspect I'm doomed. So, am I okay to do these regularly as I progress through the rest of my fundamental course? I'm trying to divide my time up profitably. Yes, I mean, the pronunciation course is definitely a course that you should go back to uh, many times in the future. It's always good to go back to basics sometimes, but of course you have the Anki cards, so you have that reminder of what we covered in the lessons in your Anki cards, so that should be fine. And I would say that uh, any any uh, lesson that you particularly like, you could bookmark it in Google Chrome or uh, your web browser, so you can uh, go back to it anytime you want. Next, we have Mary on a great uh, lesson that we did and a great uh, comment that she's left here. Bonus, none of us are quote-unquote bad at languages. Work with your brain. And she says here, I tell people this all the time. Nobody is bad at languages unless they genuinely cannot speak a language at all. Was it you guys who said that we are language-learning machines, or was that someone else? I think it was us. Uh, Never mind who said it. Whoever said it, it's true. Our whole brains are geared to functioning through language. There would be no society without language. You use language every day. The trick is to realize that anyone who uses language on a daily basis still has the language app in their brain turned on. There are ways to improve your confidence and hack your skills to learn faster. Uh, and I can see I already this course is great for that. But seriously, people, if you're reading this, you are a linguist. <laughs> uh, I would say you're a language acquisition machine. <laughs> you know, continuing. English is a difficult language. Don't get me started on the spelling. Uh, if you can manage English, you can master anything. So 
Uh, absolutely agree. Uh, well articulated, and it's so true. You know, if you're able to use language at all, that mean that means that should be a hint to you that your brain is well attuned towards acquiring language, and uh, that's what we're going for. So, thanks so much for that comment, Mary. Next, we have Kathleen on bonus grammar point grammar word. How does what in what range? She says. Thanks for adding the Grammar Point videos. It's given me a better understanding of not only the words used, but also how these sentences are structured, adverb before verb, which wasn't obvious to me before. So that's awesome, uh, and we're glad to hear that. I mean, it's always great to know that things that we're creating are uh, working for people. Of course, the Grammar Point videos are our newest addition to the course, and we'll be adding more of them moving into the future. So great to hear that, Kathleen, and uh, keep it up. Next, from Ramokata on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Eats. The sentence here is 我做这把大椅子我的儿子做这把小椅子 And so, this she asks, um, he or she asks, Hi guys, sorry, I'm new to the grammar stuff, but no de shouldn't it be 大的椅子 or 小的椅子? Both of those would be fine. Um, but a lot of times when the context is very clear on the possession, you can omit the d, And that's something that happens a lot in Chinese. It happens a lot when the relationship between something is very uh, close. So, for example, I could just say 我妈 to refer to my mother, 我家 to refer to my house. And in this case, the distinction, especially because they're, we're referring to a a chair twice, so... Uh, is the big chair and is the um, small chair. It's clear enough what the where the possession is so that the um, speaker just omits the d. And that's perfectly fine. You can do that uh, whenever you want. Michael Rochford on It's a Word for Niao. Uh, the sentence is 这头牛很肥. Uh, this cow is very fat. Is to a measure word for cow? Uh, that's exactly right. So that tells me that your language module figured out, okay, that's weird. That seems like, uh, for example, that's a clear sentence that is this person. That's the same thing as saying this cow. What's the difference? Well, the difference is the measure word. And of course, this is why we recommend not worrying too much about measure words because like, should I study the different measure words of Chinese? Well, you don't need to. You just need to keep getting comprehensible input. And then your brain will naturally go, well, what fits here? And it's funny to me that Michael said the exact answer to the question. Is toe the measure word for cow? Yes, exactly. And your brain, how did your brain know that? Well, because you've seen lots of sentences already that have a measure word. Usually it's g, but it could be something else. And you figured it out that way. So uh, awesome. That's actually pretty cool that that was the question that you asked. So that's great. All right, next we're going to move on to our movie scenes for this week. And as a reminder to everyone, if you're submitting a movie scene uh, share that comes from the first 105 characters, um, we likely will not talk about it on the podcast just because that uh, lesson already has a video. So if you're in the first two phases of the course, make sure you look at the comments below because there might be an awesome movie scene share there. Let's um, talk about this first one from Mary, which is in the first two phases of the course. She left a lot of different uh, scenes, and I wanted to at least address one of them on the podcast and then go from there. So 
Mary on Make a Movie for Tong, which is character number eight. Its components are two people. Its uh, actor is going to be a C male actor and the ONG set in the kitchen or inside the entrance. So she says, Tony Craig is behind the bar at Rorty's. So that's what she's, Rorty's is going to be the representation of ONG for her. And Tony Craig, because his last name is Craig, will be the representation of C. And the bar is usually just inside the entrance. So we'll assume that that's the representation of second tone. Tony Craig is behind the bar at Rorty's. He's pretty tall. He looms over the regular bar, bar guy. He's also very smart in a snazzy suit, serving customers, mainly female, and gazing at him adoringly. All of a sudden, two ballroom dancers spin in through the front door, bringing a flurry of rain and cold air in with, in with them. So that's the two props. They undulate their way across the floor, totally oblivious of the astonished regulars. Although it's normal for folks to be dancing at Rorty's, these guys stick out like a sore thumb. What with the strictly come-dancing type glittery costumes on them and the solemn look of concentration on their faces, indicating as it does a complete absence of crake. <laughs> yeah, it's a very Irish word. What's the crake? Everyone stops their singing and fiddle playing. All you can hear is the wind outside knocking on the window and the ocean in the distance. The couple take one last convoluted turn around the tables, then dance back out the door, which conveniently opens to let them out, then slam shut behind them. Even the door knows they don't fit in. We're all left speechless, uh, in an Irish pub no less, uh, with looks of comic disbelief on our faces. Then Tony Craig breaks the silence with what we're all thinking, where the hell did they come from? And of course, this character means from, so she's getting across that at the very end. It is a use of actually saying the word to uh, get across the meaning, and it's better to show it visually somehow, but it is kind of shown visually through the entire scene, and having that last moment of everybody just being quiet, and everybody has the same thing on their mind. Where did that come from? And that's a very common human feeling. It's a thing that we think many times. You know, if somebody blurts out something in a in a uh, like a movie theater suddenly, you might go, where did that come from? It's, it's a common thing to think. So I give this uh, scene my stamp of approval. And uh, very well done, Mary. It's awesome. Next, we have Kika on Make a Movie for Two. Or two, depending on which, uh, if you're talking about spitting, then it's third tone. If you're talking about throwing up, it's fourth tone. But I think she's going with spitting in this one, so two. Toulouse comes into my living room, asking for help. His mouth is swollen and dirty. He's so badly hurt that he is spitting his own teeth. Well, he crashed his cross dirt bike and landed face down, practically eating the ground. The sight is so gross, it makes me want to throw up. Right, I love that. So uh, that's a use getting both of the meanings in there. And, uh, of course, the Toulouse in the living room covers the pronunciation, uh, a living room of the childhood home, I assume. Uh, and the mouth is the left side component, and the cross dirt bike, that's a great component for the right side, which means soil or dirt. And, of course, spitting out his teeth. And then so it's so gross that... Uh, it makes her want to throw up, so she even gets the alternate definition in there, which is not a requirement for the Henza movie method, but uh, it's awesome that she did so anyway. Kika Bisogno on Make a Movie for Du, which means stomach. When there is a full moon, left side component, Donald Duck doesn't like riding his cross dirt bike. So that's your actor and uh, other component. He says the lunar gravitational pull twists the flesh of his belly and makes it hurt. Since he doesn't wear trousers, 
he's self-conscious about soiling himself before finding a public bathroom. So, of course, that's, uh, you know, the belly is some, if, if problems with your belly, you might soil yourself. And, of course, we're at the bathroom, which is fourth tone there. Love it. Um, very clear. And I get the sense that Kika might not be using her childhood home as the null uh, set just because there's probably not a public bathroom at childhood home. But that doesn't matter as long as it's clear where your set is. Uh, that's awesome. And <laughs> I love the Donald Duck. I, lo I love the idea of the lunar gravitational pull affecting someone because that's one of the characteristics of the moon. Like we always say, what are the characteristics of the props? And uh, in this case, one of the characteristics of the moon is that it creates tides and it has gravitational pull and maybe for some reason it affects the belly. And why not? That's perfectly fine. All right. Next, we have Dom Thompson on Make a Movie for T. Mother Teresa, uh, T means body. Mother Teresa is demonstrating bodybuilding poses in the bedroom of my childhood home. She's absolutely ripped and is wearing a bikini, heels, and lots of fake tan. Arnold Schwarzenegger is furiously sketching in his notebook. So Arnold Schwarzenegger and the notebook are going to be your uh, props there. Mother Teresa in the bedroom of the childhood home covers the pronunciation. And, of course, she's bodybuilding, building, which is, you know, body is the meaning, but bodybuilding is close enough connection that that can be the meaning. And uh, that's also a hilarious sight. Imagining Mother Teresa totally ripped with Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, drawing her. That's awesome. Next, we have Dom Thompson again on Make a Movie for Jewel. I found this combination, soap dispenser, razor blade, and tree, easier to imagine. So I think we originally said magic wand, sun, and tree. But you could imagine it as a soap dispenser with a razor blade, which is uh, just another combination of these same props. Jigglypuff is on top of a palm tree outside my office. Love it. <laughs> Furiously washing their hands using the soap dispenser. The soap is coming out very slowly, so they cut open the dispenser with a razor blade. Soap now gushes out and they slip right off the tree, rolling along the ground, clattering onto a table and breaking it into pieces. So that's great. Jigglypuff on top of a palm tree outside my office. That's your pronunciation and the first prop taken care of. Uh, furiously washing their hands with soap dispenser. That's what you would use a soap dispenser for. The soap is coming out very slowly. A reason to change uh the um it, that's a reason to change the situation with the razor blade because it's coming out too slowly i like that and then of course the slope the soap gushing out causes a slippage to fall into the ground and clatter into the table the meaning of the character perfect scene excellent love it dom next we have dom on make a movie for which is the standing grain uh, character. It's more of an ancient character in and of itself. It's not used that often, but it's used uh, a fair bit uh, as a component in other characters. Alex Alexander Hamilton is in the kitchen of the Elsby's home, which is H and E there in second tongue. As he wrote in Federalist number 31, a healthy breakfast is the foundation of a healthy government. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he uses a samurai sword to slice a coconut off the top of a palm tree. He then adds the coconut milk to his whole grain cereal. <laughs> I love it. So that's, uh, first of all, hilarious. And it's got all the elements of the scene there clearly. Um, and, of course, adding the coconut milk to his whole grain. Of course, the two main components here are tree and samurai sword. So he cuts the coconut off the palm tree, makes sense, uh, and uses that to be a part of his healthy breakfast 
for the foundation of a healthy government. I love it. Michael Rochford on Make a Movie for Tio. Elvis Wang is headlining at the Snowflake Ball. So Elvis, of course, is the king. So he's the representation of the left side component, Wang. And uh, the Snowflake Ball is the right side component because there's a snowflake in that component. And uh, Chi-Chi is in the kitchen of my OU set polishing a disco ball, uh, singing I've Got the Whole World in My Hands. So I love it because Tio can mean ball, but it's also Tio means the earth. So I love that. And uh, we have the pronunciation all covered. And I love the choice of props there with Elvis being the king. Perfect. I love it. Um, so very clear scene for Tio, meaning ball. Kika on Make a Movie for Tsi. So her actor is Chichi Kinkira to represent QI. Uh, Chichi Kinkira is taking a nap on the living room sofa. All of a sudden, she sees a strange creature rising from the floor. And that's your uh, meaning. It is an all-terrain ATST walker. Right, That'll be a representation of walk. Traversing the house on mechanical legs on a renaissance mission looking for the mighty self-eating snake that wants to destroy the world. And that's your final component there. Love it. Rising from the floor. Very vivid to focus on rising. I would definitely make that moment of the scene a bit more uh, slow motion, things like that. But it's excellent. That's a really great scene. Kiko, I'll make a movie for Hi. Henry the Henry VIII is attending a gala at the Versailles Palace. So that covers your pronunciation there. He's looking dandy with his designer smoking tuxedo, but when he reaches the hallway, second tone, he steps, he stops, turns around, and rushes back to the to his hotel to change. He knows that if he hurries, he can still arrive on time. First reference to the uh, meaning. He quickly changes into a heavily starched shirt with pleated ruffs on the collar and frills at the wrist. Over that, he wears a crimson jacket covered with gems and close-fitting striped trousers. He rushes back to the palace, but as he steps on the red carpet, two bouncers stop him. Hey, old man, where do you think you're going? That is a very elegant gala. Uh, this is a very elegant gala, and you look like a clown. You can't come in looking like that. Very upset, Henry VIII replies, Then why do you have a no-smoking sign out there? That's exactly what I was wearing, and I had to go back and change. This is why I never trusted French people. <laughs> well, so that's a that's a great scene. I think the still is could maybe be stronger, but I think it's you know, uh, clear enough because there's such so many cool things going on there. We have the red carpet with no smoking sign. Uh, the idea that Henry the the eighth is being denied doing anything he wants is kind of funny. Uh, so I think that that's probably good enough. And uh, we'll, uh, yeah, that's good. that gets a seal of approval. Awesome. Next, we have a scene from Michael Rochford on Make a Movie for Tsing. Chi-Chi pulls up at midnight out back of my ENG yard in a car with the headlights off. She quickly jumps out of the car and rushes up to the hay bale, which is the top component, and digs a little underneath it to get at the secret cache of magic blue-green moonshine she marked cyan, uh, cyan-eyed. Okay, so it's a play on words he's using here, because blue-green cyan is the meaning of this character, and he's saying cyan-eyed, and leaves her payment of a small sack of sapphires and emeralds, of course, the being blue and green. 
she hurriedly darts back to her car and races off Sans lights into the darkness. Okay, nice. So we've got the uh, moonshine, we've got the hay bale, uh, the play on words with cyanide, and of course blue-green showing up with the sapphires and emeralds as well. So multiple layers of meaning to make it a little bit easier to remember. That's awesome. Now the next uh, character, Michael Rochford again, this time it's Tune, so it's third tone. Chi-Chi comes stomping into Harry Potter's ENG bedroom, uh, demanding he turn over a magical potion. She sticks out her hand with a small bag of jewels with a haughty smile to pay for it, at which Harry uh, jumps out of his bed, grabs a megaphone, and sticks it in her face and yells, What's the magic word? Hope everyone knows that it's please. And of course, Harry Potter being there representing magic makes sense, and the magic word being please, the meaning of this character. So excellent stuff, Michael. I love it. Final scene for this week, Michael Rochford on Make a Movie for Chung. I am very lucky I have a granddaughter in kindergarten, and who better to come up with a connection between Thousand Island dressing, desktop computer, heavy, once more, and one character with two meanings in a way I can easily remember. Because So, chong means heavy, but it can also be pronounced chong, which means once more or re to repeat something. So, it's an example of a good, good example of a double meaning character, a double duoyinzi. Uh, Thank you, my Hannah. So here's the first one. George Washington, Z-H, dorm, O-N-G, bathroom. Heavy, so that's for heavy. For once more, it's Charlie in the dorm, O-N-G, kitchen. George is in the bathroom lifting heavy desktops high. Charlie's in the kitchen making Thousand Island dressing pie. Once more, I say repeating. Dressing on a pie? Well, Charlie is a, is a dumbbell, and that's the reason why. I love that it's... It rhymes. Oh, that's great. So, yeah, we've got everything in there we need, and um, we've got the desktops, and we've got the Thousand Island dressing, uh, which is great. That's clear. It's all... Um, I love it. So there's the main two components. So basically what uh, Michael was doing here was combining the dumbbell and the uh, Thousand Island dressing and the desktops all together even though they were combining into one story and the main difference just being where is George Washington and where is Charlie in the dorm to get across the difference in the two meanings. I like it. That's, that's awesome. That's some complicated advanced stuff that Michael did there, but it's not necessary to do for everybody. Like you can just learn uh, the one, but if you manage to do that, that's fantastic. So uh, I love that and uh, great stuff. Thanks so much for listening to the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. As always, if you'd like to send a message specifically for the podcast, send the email to podcast at mandarinblueprint.com. And of course, visit mandarinblueprint.com to learn more about the course. And if you have any questions, we'll be happy to answer you uh, either at that email in the community forum or in a message uh, in a comment left on the course. So thanks so much. And we'll speak to you next time.